Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before you get your hospital bill, several hundreds of dollars have been spent making sure your new baby is taken care of. New parents are culprits of watching their wallets get thinner when they expand their family with a new baby. How should parents spend and invest wisely? How do you financially plan for the future of your baby? Today, we have Kimberly Palmer, author of Generation Earn, and she'll teach us more about money mistakes new parents make and how to avoid them. This is Parent Savers, Episode 9. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Would you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome to Parent Savers, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Casey Wilt. Parent Savers is all about helping new parents preserve their sanity by providing expert information on raising newborns and toddlers. I am a new parent myself. My son Carson is 16 months old, and I'm joined by three new parents here in the studio. Hi, my name is Owen. I am a social media marketer and videographer. I've got uh, two kids and one on the way. Um, I've got a four-year-old and a 10-month-old who just started walking, so all my books are on the floor and not on the bookshelf. (laughs) And uh, we've got another one due in July. Okay, I'm Jody, and I'm a teacher at Escondido High School, and I have a 14-month-old little girl named Tara. Hi, I am Summer Jesse, and I have three children. Uh, one of them is almost seven, and a four-year-old, and then a one-year-old. And I have a community of natural mommies online. We talk about all natural things. Um, I also teach private Pilates lessons, and I'm writing a book on um, kind of escaping the the monotony and thinking outside the box. Wow. You guys are all busy. <laughs> busy, busy, busy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we start today's show, here's a question for one of our experts. Hi, Parent Savers. My name is Andrea from San Diego, California, and I have a question. I just had my second child, and I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed considering that I have two kids under the age of two. My biggest issue really is their sleep schedule. Do you have any advice on how I might get both kids on similar schedules so that I can finally get some sleep? Thanks a lot. Hi, this is Dr. Johnson. Andrea, it's a great question. I think putting two kids in the same schedule, though, can often be frustrating. What I'd suggest is trying to put the oldest child on a schedule first 
because they need sometimes a little less sleep than the youngest one, so you have a little more time to play with. And then I think the youngest child will just follow. You do want to make sure that you're not stimulating them in any way by what you have in their room, something that makes music or certainly not a TV. You want to make sure that however you put them to bed at night, you can duplicate that later in the evening if they wake up because they will wake up. That's just our normal sleep patterns. So I would start off with uh, trying to get that oldest one on the sleep schedule and hopefully that works out for you. Thank you. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Today on Parent Savers, we have Kimberly Palmer with us. She is the author of Generation Earn and a personal finance columnist at U.S. News and World Report. She helps young people master their own finances from spending and investing to earning and giving back. She's also a creator of Palmer's Planners. It's a series of financially themed planners. And stay tuned for details on how you can win one of her baby financial planners. So, Kim, I'm so happy to have you here. Um, Hi, Casey. Thanks for having me. Before we even get into this baby talk and toddler talk, what are some common mistakes we make while we're pregnant? You know, we're registering and we're getting ready for baby. So what are some uh, mistakes that happen? Well, the biggest mistake that new parents make, and I should say I am also a relatively new parent. I have a two-year-old, so I have a little bit more experience, but I definitely remember the pregnancy phase. And the biggest mistake is probably just not realizing how expensive babies are. When you're pregnant and you start registering for things, it's really easy to get caught up in all of the big things you think you need, like a crib, um, and all of the toys that you need, clothes, and you people easily miss the biggest expenses of all, which is really the cost of childcare or the cost of scaling back your own work hours if you're going to be the one caring for your baby. And on average, it actually costs new parents $12,000 a year for a new baby, and that includes the cost of childcare if people have childcare. So that's a huge number, and it can be a little intimidating. Yeah. That's huge. That's a lot of money. I try to tell my teen moms that. (laughs) (laughs) It's huge. It's really sort of intimidating. And that number is for people, for middle-income Americans. And so for people who are earning between about $50,000 and $70,000 a year, of course, it varies. Not everybody has to spend that much. And that's a big point that I try to make that you, of course, don't have to buy a lot of the things that we think that we need. But that biggest expense is really the cost of caring for your baby. So are those those things like what what do we need then you know are there things that we can get by without that we should spend get used on some stuff but you know by how do we know Yes, there are. And actually, one mistake, and a mistake I made myself, is buying multiple types of things. So I think I had three different cribs at one point because I needed a travel crib and a crib that was going to go right next to my bed and then a crib for the baby's room. I had, I think, four different baby carriers because I wanted to try them all. And I liked some for different things, like going for walks versus walking around the house. Yeah. So you don't need 
all different kinds of all of those things. It, it's tempting because baby stuff is so cute and so adorable, but you can usually slim things down and borrow from friends and other people. A lot of this stuff is fine to use used. I think I could definitely relate to that because we borrowed a lot of things, but we borrowed a lot of redundant products. Like we had, you know, a pack and play for the trunk of the car, you know, <laughs> and then we had a, a pack and play for the house and that stuff adds up. Oh, yeah. Right. So what are some ways that we could uh, avoid this overspending and maybe simplify? Well, one of the best things you can do is to plug into a community of parents in your local area. So a lot of uh, it's easy to find new moms groups or new parent groups in your neighborhood. And that way you can see if other people, if their child is just growing out of something like an exorcer or some kind of toy that's easy to pass down clothes, you can share and borrow. My neighborhood has a listserv and we all sort of pass things to each other. And that, that works really well for just eliminating all of the clutter buildup in addition to saving money. And then also shopping used. There's some things you don't want to buy used. And one of those, for example, some things change so quickly with their safety standards, like car seats. And you don't know for sure if a car seat was in a, an accident and it had damage that you can't even see. So some things like that where safety is paramount, you want to buy new. But for a lot of things, you can buy used and go shopping at secondhand stores and save a ton of money that way. Well, and I guess, you know, they've got the drop-down cribs that you're no longer allowed to use, but... Yeah, I don't know. And we, none, none of us use them here. We don't here. have them in our houses <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, I have my drop down, but I don't even think it dropped down once because it just didn't work. It just stayed up. So I'm right. like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm abiding by the regulations. Just duct tape it yeah. shut. I, I think know. it'll be fine. <laughs> duct tape's fine, right? <laughs> <laughs> Safety of child. Care. I heard of so many parents doing that. Personally, I got so paranoid because that... That, that alert came out right when my daughter was born that we're not supposed to be using these drop side cribs anymore. And of course, we had one oh, passed down from a neighbor. And so I think we just ended up getting a cheap, it was like a $100 one at Ikea or something, and it wasn't drop side. But so you didn't, I didn't have to spend a ton of money to replace it. But that's very stressful. We see these recalls all of the time, and it's not always clear what to do. Yeah, well, and Ikea is the place. I mean, you can get some great, I mean, I don't know, people go back and forth on the quality of Ikea, but if only they sold car seats. <laughs> but I, I really, uh, what you said, Kim, really resonates with me in terms of forming, uh, getting it to be a part of a group. We're, we're definitely a part of a church community that uh, shares, we, we make note of things. Uh, hey, I've got this saucer. I've got this crib. Even if there's not someone we know that's pregnant, they might know someone who's pregnant. So we have uh, a pack and play that, that we borrowed from a friend, and then when we were done with it, we put it back into the pile, so to speak. And that was tremendously... Um, uh, you know, cost effective for us. I think one of the biggest mistakes I made looking back on it is trying to buy everything new. Right. And so now when I, I love the baby swap meet so much because I look at like, oh, why do I have to spend $20 on clothes that I can buy for a dollar? Right. And I'm just trying to impart um, this knowledge on some of my friends that are going through it and just starting out and they're buying everything new. And I'm like, why? I have that. You can, I'm not using right. it for another three years or so. And they grow out of it so fast. Right. So yeah. much more I mean, quickly than you anticipate. You go, oh, this will be good for a year. No, it's like three months. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I was telling someone the other day, like when you register for a wedding, you're, you have those things for your life, most likely for a wedding. But when you register right. for a baby, it really has the shelf life of six months, some of it. Right. Yeah. So. That's why we registered for things that we didn't get at our wedding with our baby. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like some china with yeah. that. So, so what are um, some of the most common money mistakes parents make in the very first few years of their child's life? 
another big one is not saving enough in advance of having your baby. Of course, saving is a luxury that not all of us have, but if you can possibly put money away ahead of time to help first offset some of the big costs because there are going to be some things you end up needing to buy or paying someone for childcare uh, or just taking time out of work yourself if that's something you want to do. So building up that baby slush fund in advance can be really helpful and alleviate some of that stress, the financial stress that comes later. So I actually usually uh, encourage people, if you're going to have one person in the family stop working or take a long break to care for the baby, to practice living on just one salary before you do that. So you don't have those two big changes at once. So that way you can sort of get a sense of what it's going to feel like and what you need to cut back on, if anything. And if you're going to, both people are going to keep working or you have two salaries and you expect that and you're going to have, be paying for childcare, then practice putting that amount of money away ahead of time too. So while you're pregnant, put away $1,000 or if you live in an, if you live in DC like me, and I'm sure it's the same for you, it's like more like $2,000 a month for infant care. So put, start practicing putting that away and that will help you in two ways. First, you just get used to your new baby budget. And then secondly, you have that fund, that sort of slush fund that makes things a little less stressful because there's hospital bills at first, there's other kinds of healthcare bills that come up for yourself and for your baby. So just to have a cushion so you don't have to have the financial stress on top of all of the other stresses that come with having a baby and sleep deprivation and everything that can make things go more smoothly. So do you start that like when you're trying to get pregnant or? Yeah, you... if you can, you can start as, as soon as possible. But since most people, of course, most babies, we don't know exactly when they're coming. So as soon if you just can start as soon as you know, you have a, a date, you know, you're probably going to ha- have a baby or aim to have a baby, start putting money away. The earlier you start, then the easier it is to build up that fund. How much are you um, suggesting? I know you said uh, about the same amount as childcare costs beforehand, but when after you have the kid, about how much money do you um, recommend putting away each month? So it really depends on your goals. A lot of people, and I definitely experienced this right when you have your baby. You well, I also happened to buy a house at the same time, so we had all these new of costs. Course. Everyone, a lot of everyone people does. end up <laughs> buying a new car too, and there's all these big costs that suddenly go up that are associated with having babies. If you have that kind of sort of financial shock in your life, it can be almost impossible to save right after you have the baby. So I'm not saying you have to be saving right after you have the baby with all these other stresses, but as a general rule of thumb, when you are anticipating your baby, since the average we know is $12,000 a year, save up $1,000 a month ahead of time if possible. And then after you have your baby, you have to readjust your budget and see what you can save for your future big goals. I mean, a lot of people like to start saving for college as soon as possible. Uh, that, of course, is a luxury for a lot of people, and I don't know how people manage that. But, you know, you have to think about your own family goals and what you're trying to reach for and what you're willing to cut back on. So from like a middle class perspective or a general perspective, what are some of the areas where we should be spending um, and investing and, and what are some of the areas where we could maybe be a little more frugal? Well, where you should keep on focusing and consider putting your money is your own retirement and yourself. A lot of people, once they become parents, it's so tempting just to stop making your 401k contributions. Yeah, because you need more cash. You have a cash crunch. And so that's actually not the best idea because you probably still want to retire one day. So if it's 
useful to cut back in other areas instead so you can still have your retirement accounts. Also, your own emergency savings fund. This is a huge one that is so essential to new parents but often gets lost in the shuffle. You want to have at least three to six months, possibly more, of savings, of expenses in your savings account just in case something unexpected comes up. You lose your job or there's some kind of cost you weren't expecting. And it's not just for you. I mean, it's for your family that you have that too in case you need to uh, pay for something and support them during, while you're going through something or a temporary unemployment streak. So having that emergency savings fund, your retirement accounts, you still want to put money there. The other area I always tell people not to skimp on, like I mentioned a little bit before, is safety. So I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with safety, as I think a lot of new moms are. But childproofing, I paid a bunch of money to get make sure our paint had no lead in it. There's certain safety precautions that you want to make sure you take so you know that your children are healthy in, in a healthy environment. When we come back, we'll talk about ways to break the cycle of unnecessary spending with tips to help us save and invest in our child's life. We'll be right back. This is Parent Savers, and we're back with Kimberly Palmer, author of Generation Earn and Palmer Planners, helping people financially plan for their babies. So, Kim, how do we stop this unnecessary spending? (laughs) The first best step is really to know where your money is going now, which isn't always obvious to people. And people are often really surprised. Uh, For example, I like, I try to check my credit card statement every single month. And I am often so surprised by how much I'm spending on clothes for my daughter because it's (laughs) so easy every time the seasons change to splurge and get new everything. So really, number one is to know where your money is going. You can either try, if you're a paper and pen kind of person, write down everything you spend over the course of a month and then review it. If you're more of an online kind of person, just review your debit or credit card statement, whatever it is that you use all the time. And also, some online programs, mint.com is one of my favorites. It's a free program that analyzes everything for you because... Yeah, and it's super helpful, and you can even set up specific savings goals, and then it will help you if you're getting close to your limit for a month. It'll send you a text message, and it's all free and secure. So that's one thing I always recommend to people, and also for couples uh, who are trying to make sure to get on the same page when they're doing their household spending can be helpful too. You know, one of the hardest things that we have, my wife's paper and pen, and I am computer. I want it tracked, you know, electronically. I want to throw it into a graph, and I want to analyze it with a laser pointer, you know. <laughs> Know, um, so I, how do you how do you meet in the middle uh, between uh, you know the the two different kinds, pen and paper versus electronic? Yeah, that is really tough, and I have the same situation in my marriage. Basically, you just have to sit down together. I usually personally I like going someplace outside the house, making almost like a date, and talk about how you're going to do things, how you're going to combine things, because if you stay on a different page, it can be, I mean, if one of you is always paper and pen, one of you is always electronic. For me, it was, I was always, I'm a credit card person. I pay it off each month, but I like everything on a credit card. My husband hates using a credit card, would only use his debit card, so everything was coming right out of our bank account. It drove me crazy. And so we had to have a discussion and basically decide, of course, he realized I was right and started using the credit card. So you just have to have that conversation conversation and decide how you're going to do it because number one is getting on the same page. Well, yeah, you could even just be one person's a Starbucks person and one person's a, hey, you can make it at home, you know, even just getting yourself on the same page of where are you spending your money and how come you're buying, you know, this and I'm not spending money, you know, trying to save, trying to figure out how to save it when one person's spending, you know. 
Exactly. And when you're pregnant, it's the perfect time to work that out because the baby brings up all those differences and brings all that out in high relief because, of course, there's a whole new member of the family that you're depending on. Well, and it's so hard, though. Like, we see a cute little outfit, and I have a son, and so, like, I can resist it because I will never wear men's clothes. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> plaid little shorts and stuff. So I can resist it. However, my husband can't because he wants a mini-me, and he's just like, oh, that's so cute. We have to get it from, oh, my, well, and it, or it's like, oh, my, he doesn't feel good. I'll buy this. I'll buy the whole, you know, pharmacy or, oh, I, you know, and I can't, I can't say no to him, especially if he's sick or sad or anything. It's just like, okay, I'll give you the world. You know, I'm, I'm very much that way with educational products yeah? where it's yeah. like, you know, I know this is good. This is good for him. I don't, he, he can wear a diaper. He's going to be <laughs> fine. He needs to know how to do this and do this, you know, and uh, the baby clothes thing hasn't really hit me so much, but we borrow a lot. We have bags and bags and bags of stuff. I read online um, the average person spends about $60 per month on just clothes. Um, Do you recommend – yeah, and do you recommend like – a, a maximum amount to spend on clothes or any recommendations for clothes to minimize our spending? So it's so individual and personal. For some people, they can afford to spend $500 on clothes a month. So it doesn't even matter. Some people, it's going to be more like $20 a month or less. So what you have to do is just realize, have a, create a, your own goals and budget for yourself that makes sense for yourself so you know, okay, it's okay for me to spend $50 a month on baby clothes or whatever it is for you. And then be aware of when you get to that. And I have the same issue where, you know, some cute outfit catches my eye. I can't help myself. And it's fine if it's once in a while, but what helps me and what I think can help new parents is when you realize how it's all adding up each month. And so that's why you need to review your credit card statement or whoever you track things to see, oh, wow, when I bought those two cute outfits, I'm suddenly spending you know, $100 a month and I don't want to do that because that's jeopardizing the rest of my budget. So it's really just deciding on your own budget and then being aware so you know how all this is adding up. What about like when there's holidays? Um you know, and there's birthday parties and people are very tempted to uh, go crazy with Easter baskets and Christmas morning. And, uh, you know, how do we not only for our own selves, you know, not to get into that materialistic mindset, but also teaching our kids, you Mm -hmm. know, how to be more simple and not feeding into that. Like they have to have things to be happy. Yeah. The consumerism. How do we avoid the consumerism mindset? That is a great question. And actually, I just read a fascinating study on this in terms of what children remember growing up and what matters to them. It turns out it's not the stuff at all. So they don't even necessarily remember if they got all of their favorite new toys or new clothes at Christmas or Easter. What they remember is the family traditions. So if you can establish some family traditions for birthdays and for holidays that are important to you and that you do every year, that can take on so much meaning and it helps give the presents and the gifts a little less emphasis. It, in my family, we always have, uh, we hide, a, you get to, you do a treasure hunt for a dollar for each year old you are. So uh, I'm still doing it. So when I turned, uh, when I turned 32, my dad still had all of the $32 bills around the living room and I hunted oh, for them. And so it's fun. so much fun. Yeah, it's so fun. So I think it's all about establishing those traditions that you can really get into and look forward to and create memories that's such great feedback thank you how do you keep i mean do you teach your children financial uh intelligence as well i mean do you have any advice for how to teach your child the value of a dollar 
Yes, this is one of my favorite topics. And, you know, it's shocking how early kids start to pick up on this. Uh, so even starting around age two or three, you can start to sort of realize they understand what money is. They can see that when you go to the store, you need money. And the best thing parents can do is to be open and to talk about their own money decisions with their children, which actually is so much harder than it sounds. Actually, parents would rather talk about drugs and sex than money with their wow. children. So it's just, if you can get past that hesitation, and so many parents feel awkward talking about money because maybe they feel like they're not good with it. So it's right. a private thing. Sort of, sure. Yeah. And you don't want the kids bragging so at school. you can push past that and have those conversations when you're at the store talking through how you're making decisions, how you're budgeting, what, if you're deciding to buy the less expensive option, for example. That gives kids insight into being frugal and having some values around money. Hmm. Now, you talked about earlier a little bit spending here, you know, clothes or whatever, but what kind of percentages? Because obviously some people can't afford $500 a month and some people can afford $5 a month. So what percentages should we be sticking for for spending, for living expenses, for savings, for investing? Mm-hmm. Well, I like to start with a savings goal because I just think having an emergency fund and savings for other goals like retirement or education is so essential to a family's financial security. So in general, on average, we probably want to be saving between 20 to 30% of our incomes, which sounds like so much, but that includes your retirement savings. Uh, and we, of course, need to be saving a lot for that given the fact that most of us don't have pensions anymore. So you want to start with your savings so you can make sure you have savings. And then from there, the big things, the three biggest costs that people have are transportation, housing, and food. And those three things for most people actually make up two thirds of all of our, of all of our spending. So once you can you, you have a sense of how much money is going there, then you can filter out the secondary things like the clothes that you want to buy, the entertainment, the it, investing in your own career, professional expenses, household expenses. And it's really about sitting down and doing this individually because it's going to vary so much for each person. But if you have those buckets and you know how much you want to be going each month into those categories, you know how much for savings, then it's easier to make those smaller daily decisions and make sure it's lining up with those bigger goals. What about the investment dollar? Uh, is that something that we you, you want to look at precious metals, annuities, the marketplace, or just your standard interest-free you know, savings account at the big bank down the street? I mean, where do we put that money? Right. It's so hard right now because interest rates are so low, as you know. So first question is when you want to have this money. For our really long-term investments like our retirement accounts and if we have babies, college savings accounts, those can be more aggressively invested in something like an index fund that is going to reflect the stock market. But for anything that we have shorter term, like, of course, our emergency fund Mm -hmm. and just our daily expenses, we want to have that in a safer spot. So, of course, you have your normal checking account, savings account for paying your bills. For things that are longer out, I usually encourage people to look at the money market funds or short-term bond funds since those pay a slightly higher interest rate than just your typical savings account, but you can still access that money. It's still liquid and available to you. So that way you're also making sure it's not in the stock market. You don't suddenly lose what you need for the next year or two. Right. So let's. you said you know 20 to 30% of our income. Um, so 
how, what if you make nothing? What if you are, you know, qualify for every low income housing, low income, this low income, that, um, and you're basically not, well, not even necessarily on welfare. Like you're, you're, you know, we live in Southern California and I think everybody's struggling to get by and it doesn't matter how much money you make because it's just, it's just expensive to live here. Um, how do you get to that 20 per 30% if you have never done it? Like where do you start? Where do you start? So the way to start, and actually I've had found, interviewed someone who did justice and found it so inspirational. She was sort of in a similar spot. If, if her paycheck was delayed, she couldn't pay her bills. I mean, she was really living paycheck to paycheck or even worse than that. And how she started saving was just by putting – she started with 2%, which I think was – so little. Um, I think she was earning under $30,000 a year at the time. So she started by automating a 2% savings into a savings account. And then she's just slowly raised that to 3%, 4%. And eventually she got to 10%. And she, because her income kept growing as she got older, it, she was able to pick up a substantial savings account. And so like you're saying, I mean, it's not always possible. Saving is a luxury. Having money in the bank is a luxury. So it's not like everyone can always do this, but it's something we can strive for and taking really teeny tiny steps that aren't overwhelming can be a way to do that. You know, we did, we did kind of a back backwards way. We, we, we saved, we set a goal for a couple hundred a month, which was more than we could really afford, but we kept it accessible. So we put that money away and it's like, did we really need to use it? And it was like, well, we wanted to go out to eat, but we put that money away already. And then there was other times where it's like hospital bill. We're just going to have to pull that money out. And it, it helped us to find an equilibrium. It helped us to find a level that was best for us after about 90 days of, of experimentation. And it's just another way, uh, another way to go about it. I think the most important thing is to know what your priorities in your life are, what your values are, and to make sure your own spending and habits really reflect that. So if you are trying to reach a big goal, like say you want to be working at home uh, or making sure that you can cut back your work so you can spend more time with your children, then you can develop a plan that sets up small steps to get there. So saving up money first or setting up your new entrepreneurial website or blog and taking those small steps. Some people, they want to make sure they're supporting companies and all this purchasing we're doing for our babies that are green and toxin-free and uh, supporting other causes that they care about. So that's more, if that's important to someone, then they need to just spend some time doing research on the companies to make sure they are connected with their values. So it really, the first question is to ask yourself what your own goals are and what's important to you. Thanks to Kimberly Palmer for helping us to make wise decisions about our money and our family. If you want to learn more about Kimberly Palmer, simply visit parentsavers.com and look for today's topic. If you want to win one of her baby financial planners, visit the contest page on the website or our Facebook fan page for details. We'll also include Generation Earn and her baby financial planner on our online store. Before we wrap up today's show, here are some great breastfeeding remedies for new parents. Hi, Parent Savers. I'm Robin Kaplan, an international board-certified lactation consultant, owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center, and the host and producer of Parent Savers' sister show, The Boob Group. I'm here to offer some advice on different breastfeeding remedies, such as, how can I treat my painful plug ducts? Have you ever woken up from a deep sleep to find an area of your breast that is tender, a little red? And pretty uncomfortable? And upon further investigation, was there a lump that this pain was radiating from? How did this happen? Should you be concerned? 
In most cases, there is little need for concern. Most likely, it is a pesky plug duct that with a little TLC will go on way on its own within 24 to 48 hours. So what is a plug duct? A plug duct is an area in your breast where your milk has literally hit a roadblock. The milk has gotten stuck in a particular area and cannot get out. An area of your breast may feel engorged and warm to the touch. The area might feel more uncomfortable before feeding and during a letdown than after the feeding. You also will not have a high temperature, which can mean that you might have mastitis. What causes a plug duct? A plug duct is caused by milk stasis, which means that the milk is not moving out of the breast. There are many reasons that a mom might get a plug duct. One is a poor latch, which is definitely a reason to see a lactation consultant. Or maybe your little one just slept a little longer than usual at night or skipped a feeding. And sometimes pressure from an underwire bra can actually cause inflammation. And then, sometimes moms just have low immunity caused by lack of sleep, stress as a new mom, or stress of going back to work. Can you imagine that? There are quite a few ways to get rid of a plug duct. First, take care of yourself and your immune system. This means you should be getting a lot of rest, drinking lots of water, and eating immunity-supporting foods. Make sure you breastfeed frequently and effectively from that affected breast. You can use breast compressions while breastfeeding to help remove the blockage if it's not too painful. Also, try nursing leaning over your baby, which is called dangle feeding, so that gravity can help remove the blockage. Also, you can use warm compresses in between feedings. I recommend warm castor oil compresses wrapped around the affected breast for 20 minutes at a time. I find that castor oil can really remove those plug ducts. And you can take a warm shower and lean forward. Use very gentle massage, though, as deep massage can actually cause more inflammation. Now, sometimes there are some moms who are more susceptible to reoccurring plug ducts. If this is you, definitely meet with a lactation consultant, as there is reason why these plug ducts keep occurring, and you will want to resolve those underlying issues. Some moms treat reoccurring plug ducts by taking lecithin daily. Lecithin is a food supplement that may decrease the viscosity or stickiness of your breast milk. It is inexpensive and can be found at local food stores. While it is often made out of soy, you can also find non-protein-based lecithin. And the dose is typically 1,200 milligrams four times a day, but that's something you should definitely check in with a lactation consultant or your primary care physician. Also, consider having therapeutic ultrasound. Jack Newman describes this process very well on his website. As always, it is important to continue working with a lactation consultant and your primary care physician whenever you are considering taking herbs or nutritional supplements. For more great information about different breastfeeding remedies, check out my blog at sandiegobreastfeedingcenter.com backslash blog. And be sure to listen to Parent Savers in the Boob Group for fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and breastfeeding support. That wraps up today's episode. There are many ways you can become a part of our show. If you have a parenting topic you'd like to suggest or a question for our expert, Kimberly Palmer, visit our website, www.parentsavers.com, and send us an email through the contact link. Or call our Parent Savers hotline at 619-866-4775. And we'd love to hear from you. And we'll answer your question in an upcoming episode. Coming up next week, we have the founders of Colic Calm. They're answering our questions. Can colic be cured? Thanks for listening to Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode 
are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.